2: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
1: The following is a presentation of the Force Center podcast feed.
2: From the center of the galaxy,
1: this is the Force Center podcast feed. Now it's time for a spotlight Star Wars with your host, Ken Knappsock.
2: Hey, friends, let's go back to 1999. That's right. It's the 149th edition of Spotlight Star Wars, and we're going to go back to May of 1999. A little picture called The Phantom Menace coming out in theaters. And I love uh, looking back at the movie. I love going back and watching. I'm actually watching Phantom Menace uh, to prepare for an upcoming Star Wars-ranked episode, which just now uh, putting out about our favorite lines. And it's just a fun movie to revisit. But what's also fun is to see certain things and go, "Yeah, I remember really not liking that, or I remember that not being to my expectations, or at the time I thought standards as a Star Wars fan, which is just completely unfair to the picture." But we've all been on a journey with that. We all have been on a journey with Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, even if you saw it at seven eight, nine years of age back in 1999. Maybe you revisit it a little bit later on, and maybe uh, it doesn't uh, doesn't explode off the screen as much as it did. Maybe there's something there that you have to dig a little deeper to find out. I really contend that we all have had a wonderful, at times challenging, but at the end of the day, because it's Star Wars, fun journey with a Phantom Menace. And I thought, uh, when I got a hold of this TV guy that I'm flipping through a uh, listener, supporter, uh, DJ old boy, is his screen name, uh, sent this TV guide over to our offices at the Good People Association, the production company and a YouTube channel that uh, I do some work with uh, nearby with Josh McCuga, Mark Riley. We have a lot of fun. We got our Kickstarter going with Futility, the actual game of living board game. Support it if you want. But uh, uh, DJ Oldboy always sends us fun little things. Little uh, Sleepless in Seattle soundtrack CD, uh, 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 Jean Claude Van Damme movie posters, like stuff like that. And this showed up. This uh, uh, number two in our four part collector set this week, TV guide for May 15th through the 21st in 1999, special Star Wars issue. On the cover. We got Phantom, uh, the Phantom Menace uh, hero, I guess you could say, uh, uh, Liam Neeson. Uh, then you got uh, two battle droids, all those battle droids. Then you got this uh, evil-looking, uh, kind of yellow, angry-eyed, horn-having uh, baddie. Got to be a, a, a Sith, right? Got to be the main bad of the entire series. Man, look at that. He's on the cover of TV Guide. And I just decided, wouldn't it be fun to go back and read every word written Uh, Leading up to the release of this movie and go back to what did we think, what were our expectations? And I'm kind of speaking directly to my generation older, but again, even if you're seven and you're seeing a trailer, you're going to have some expectations about it. And I've always said, I've never backed off the fact that I just, I love the, the, the two main Phantom Menace trailers. Uh, me and Mark Ellis, will talk about them often, about how often, randomly, we'll just put them on, on YouTube in hotel rooms while we're doing comedy or just uh, Home Alone and you want to watch uh, a Star Wars trailer. I love those trailers. Even though I remember watching those trailers and having a just a different story in my mind than the one we actually got. And I don't think we as an audience could help that. Uh, this is the expectations for this movie. Uh, I don't know if we'll ever see again, and I'm including Force Awakens. The hype was real for the Force Awakens, and the hype was big. And I don't think we'll ever feel that again. I mean, it's right up there. But 1999, we didn't think we we're going to see another Star Wars movie. 2015, I, it was a big surprise in 2012. It was uh, headline news for a reason, but it wasn't entirely. Out of the realm of possibilities with what Disney was doing. Some of those conversations were probably, um, you know, you were, you were having them in bars about what if they make more Star Wars films. Uh, crazy as it may seem, you know, uh, there was a slight chance that it happened. And it all kind of made sense, uh, whether you love the Disney sale or not. But that day, it all kind of made sense. But 1999, May of 1999, man, that didn't make sense to me. I couldn't believe it, and we've kind of been ready for this. The rumors swirling around uh, 1994 range, some of those early um, movie magazines that I have read here on Spotlight Star Wars. I love tracking the hype, but also in tracking the hype, I I think it's fair to look back and say, hey, there was some massive disappointments and some misunderstandings and, and some confusions. But I wanted to go back with what was said and what was written about The Phantom Menace in this TV guide and just see where we were. And also, quite frankly, I'm looking again at myself, not looking at you, looking at myself, quite frankly, see what I may have missed in reading the press for The Phantom Menace. Maybe there were uh, some coded words, some clues of what was to come, and we, we just weren't paying attention. Um, these are TV guide articles. They're not tremendously deep. They're, uh, you know, paid promotional fluff pieces, quite frankly, but there's some good stuff in these. And quite frankly, when we get to the Jake Lloyd stuff, some dark things that we already saw what was happening. We just didn't seem to care. We didn't seem to choose a better path once the movie came out, but let's get to that in a second. The first thing you see, and I'm, I'm not going, you know, these aren't uh, overt clues that uh, where George was like, yeah, this is a lot of politics and uh, trade federation uh, shenanigans, get ready. Nah. It, but there was a lot of George saying, I am making my story. Uh, and uh, I am making the movies I want to make. And, uh, you know, that's uh, that's that was clue enough. Uh, there is some interesting stuff in, in, in page 19. If, if you're following along... <laughs> I don't know who's following along. Uh, George already in 1999 addressing the internet. And now that's not necessarily about the movie and what was to come, but also just uh, gives you a lay of the land of how um, they talked in the TV guide of casting of the forthcoming Phantom sequels. Funny they're calling it that has not begun. Lucas says, despite internet rumors to the contrary, the director discounts speculation that Joshua Jackson of Dawson's Creek has been signed for role. Lucas says, I've just started to write the next screenplay. I haven't even hired a casting director yet, and I won't start casting until the fall. Uh, Lucas says, uh, chuckling and adding that until recently, 80 to 85% of everything on the internet about the movie was false. Uh, which it, that, that use of the phrase until recently, because I do remember, wasn't there some, one of the scripts, maybe one copy did get out. Interesting. Uh, but just, uh, this is 1999. So this is a different time. This is a complete, this is still technically the nineties that we're watching this picture. Of. And yeah, I think I was dialing off my internet back then and the chat rooms and everything, everything was already getting scary. We just wouldn't, we just didn't think about it. And, and, and this was where you were having those conversations. So did you hear the Joshua Jackson, uh, Dawson's Creek, uh, was it was a Pacey, right? Um, I don't want to wait, uh, for my life. Never mind. Um, we already, it just, you kind of believed it. And, 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 you know, then you go back and looking at some things were true, maybe Leo DiCaprio getting some consideration, all those kind of things. But we just kind of believed it. And that, we didn't know what was forthcoming uh, in, 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 in terms of the internet and what it would do to the Star Wars conversation. We had a good idea already, but we just, it just was part of the fun, part of the experience. Uh, I remember getting those CD-ROMs of the uh, Phantom Menace, some special material Uh, with the first uh, release of the VHS uh, uh, box set. Man, put in those CD-ROMs and get computer information on Star Wars. Uh, Lucas does talk, uh, interesting though, uh, he does talk about uh, some parenting uh, advice, which has echoes in Star Wars stories to come, and has echoes with what we're going to get uh, with A Phantom Menace. He talked about his kids at this time. Uh, Jet was six. Katie was 11. Uh, Amanda was 18. Of course, we all know the story. He adopted them uh, uh, after and all around Return of the Jedi with Amanda and um, went out and raised his kids, which is one of the reasons he was uh, kind of uh, away. And even says in this interview, I didn't really necessarily quit as a director. Everyone says I, I don't like directing and I quit it. No, I like it. I just I had to do other things. I had to produce Star Wars and I had to raise a family. Sorry. Um but he says, uh, he talks about his oldest daughter uh, uh, being 18 and, and things have changed. And he says, once they reach the the middle of the teenage years, you pretty much have to let them loose and watch more of what they want to do. Lucas says, even uh, the creator of the universe, it seems, is no match for a teenage daughter. The article ends. That's uh, the great uh, Kenneth Turan, who is uh, still around. You see him on Twitter every now and then, uh, film critic here in LA. Uh, so I actually love that. Uh, that at some point you have to let them go. And realizing that as he uh, was writing the story of a young kid, and he's got, again, Jet is 16, uh, six at this time, but as he's putting this movie together, Amanda, his uh, uh, daughter's in those uh, teenage years. I think of Ahsoka right away. I think of even some of the lessons we've seen with Ahsoka and Anakin in the Clone Wars about just kind of have to trust and, and trust your training and everything you've um, Put into Ahsoka as a Padawan uh, in terms of uh, guidance and mentorship and skills that uh, she'll know what to do. And at some point, that's what you have to let happen. I think of Sue LaQuine in the Bad Batch. Just saying, hey, kids are going to get hurt. That's that's just what's going to happen. You got to be there uh, after that. You can't prevent all of that. Um, and how Lucas is taking that and and that idea of attachment, that idea of um, a negative attachment and fear of letting go, and putting that into the Phantom Menace. And I go right to the Shmi stuff. Uh, and uh, even though, as, as I was starting to say, he's writing the story about Anakin, and he's got a six-year-old son, I, I wonder how much he's looking at uh, Shmi, Shmi and himself and just uh, a parent and, and what that means. And I've never really thought about it directly in those terms. We talk about Shmi a lot. We think there's great lessons in, in Shmi Skywalker, powerful lessons that connect to all of Star Wars. And this is one of the things in my ongoing and ever-growing relationship with the Phantom Menace, Shmi and Pernilla August as Shmi Skywalker just becomes more important to the Star Wars story to me. So that actually kind of makes sense that it would be aligned with some of the lessons George felt he uh, learned or was still learning as a parent, uh, and also then translating that a little bit later on to being a master. Um, so again, not saying that's plot prediction, not saying that we couldn't have predicted that one, but speaking from experience, and I don't know where you were, if you were of, of age to remember your experience going into the Phantom Menace, but I've talked about this as it relates to like Revenge of the Sith. Uh, young, young Anakin, uh, the boy who would be Vader, and that, and that poster comes out, that great poster of, of Anakin and the shadow being cast on uh, the Tatooine hut there that's Vader. It's just a classic photo, right? We, we all love that one. I just went in. My expectations weren't going to be about this, about parenting advice or letting go and, and being, uh, not being afraid uh, or, or not being afraid to be afraid, but, but letting go of those uh, things that control you and those fears and what those lead. I didn't expect that lesson. And when you hear Yoda in the trailer talk about fear leads to to anger, leads to hate, leads to suffering, and you hear that, that just sounds like great Jedi wisdom. And that sounds like, yeah, you know, hate, hate's not good. And how George is really always just doubling down on what leads to anger, what leads to the next choice being hate, which, of course, will lead to suffering of all kinds. And sometimes I, again, speaking of me, just took it, took it in one particular direction and took it a little bit on the surface. And so when I hear this and I hear, yes, we're talking about Lucas and his kids, but that's where his mind was at this time when he was putting together this movie. And yes, he's telling this tale for a new generation. Yes, he's writing uh, floppy-eared uh, comedy characters and doing all that. But this is the stuff that might have been at the core that I, I was not ready for when I slid into my seat at the Pacific theaters when Net California... Uh, about a week after this TV guy came out. Great stuff there from George. Um, but, you know, without a doubt, some of the challenges still remain in Phantom Menace, even for me, uh, uh, around the dialogue, the delivery of the dialogue. I understand what George was trying to do. I understand how he kind of defends it, particularly in the stuff around uh, Attack the Clones. And I accept it. I-, I think that I get what the creator is uh, saying. I put that put a capital T to capital C on the creator. I, I wouldn't argue uh, with him about that. He, he, yes, the dialogue is supposed to be uh, a little stiff, a little time, ty- uh, a little different from from a different era. Uh, I get all that, but I don't think we, you know. And look, some of the, the original trilogy uh, dialogue is is still, uh, you know, famously stiff, uh, particularly Jedi, particularly New Hope. I think Empire uh, skates that a little bit. So, again, I was sitting down at that theater and I remember my heart sinking a little bit early on with some of the dialogue in 1999 and some of the stuff with Natalie Portman. Well, here you go. On page 22 of this uh, interview with Natalie Portman, she talks about uh, the dialogue being a bit rough. Uh, She says uh, nothing – the article says nothing could prepare Portman for The Phantom Menace. It had just talked about her previous work, Mars Attacks. Heat, um, Beautiful Girls, and then, of course, appearing on stage in the um, Anne Frank uh, play as well. Uh, She says, uh, uh, she explains, Portman, uh, most of us had worked on pretty heavy dramatic stuff, very wordy movies with a lot of dialogue. So we thought Phantom Menace would be a breeze, but it wasn't. It was much harder than any of us expected. And she's talking about Liam Neeson, Ewan McGregor, at Best, all these very talented people and very talented performers with a very talented director. And George clearly had a very specific way he was going to approach him. And I don't think we can deny that. Ewan McGregor has already talked about it with uh, some of the uh, Kenobi, I wouldn't even say Kenobi Press, but just some of the stuff that's come on out. So again, I read this article on TV Guide, I think, I I don't connect it back to, and I'm not, again, not this isn't my fault, but Not your fault either, but I don't connect it back to all the stuff that Carrie Fisher has talked about of, you know, George, you can write this, but you can't say it. Harrison Ford saying, George, you can can write this. You can't say it. Um, Mark Hamill remembering his audition monologue, which is just wonderfully clunky and sci-fi and stiff at times there. None of that's in my head. I grew up with that. I grew up with all of the Star Wars dialogue. But I, I didn't read this and think of that. I just thought, nah, brand new era. Late '90s uh, acting style, a little bit different than the early '80s. We got it. So when the dialogue showed up, yeah, it was a little confusing at the time, and it and it doesn't sit in a bad way with me now. But in just watching *Phantom Menace* today, and uh, I I love the moment uh, where where uh, Amidala. Reveals her true self and, and uh, goes to one knee in front of Boss Nass to to humble herself and humble the people in Naboo and ask for help. I love that moment. I love that moment for what that means for the Star Wars story, for what it means for the character of Amidala. It's still, you know, you can still see it for what it is. It's a chunky, clunky piece of dialogue that Natalie Portman does her best with. And who knows how many takes she got. George George maybe wanted to move on and just uh, edit up the performance in post. So that's another little clue. But great stuff in here uh, from Natalie Portman uh, talking about where she was in her career on the cusp of more fame. And without a doubt, this was going to bring her more fame and how she didn't feel she was not going to let it change her. And that's what I think Natalie Portman, when you look at her life and you look at her career, I think she stayed pretty strong to herself. She has done the things she's wanted, uh, wanted, to, wanted to have done as an actor, and and said the things she wants to say as an actor and an activist, and now uh, a, a mother, a parent, a, a leader, and and she she. There's some great interviews of, of Natalie Portman around the time of *Avengers: Sith talking about the character, what she, the character means to her, and it's pretty right on stuff. So uh, Harvard was still, uh, I think, in the future, or she was going to Harvard around this time. I think uh, she's still obviously at the time of this movie coming out. She's really young, and some of the interview questions asked her are those kind of like cheeky, uh, do you got a boyfriend uh, questions, which are, you know, unfortunate, but then they do lead to a great, uh, you know, Saturday Night Live uh, video sketch that went viral a little bit later on. Same type of vibe there. And there, once again, too, Natalie Portman doing what Natalie Portman wants to do. But all that dialogue, all the rough dialogue that was to come, I wasn't stopping, and nor were you. I, of I, I, interview, were stopping to think, Yeah, we're going to get some rough dialogue in episode one. Ewan McGregor uh, has some good uh, good stuff in here. Um, uh, Nothing that would uh, talk, uh, he's pretty excited about the movie. Nothing that would give you, no talking that would give you any kind of weird clues or or weird foreshadowing of some of the issues to come. Except for, he does have some great stuff about Star Wars, uh, the big movies and the small movies. And fame and art. And this is someone already by the time he's cast, he's considered an edgy independent star. Train spotting, Velvet Goldmine, which doesn't get talked as much as uh, train spotting. Uh, and um, he had said uh, infamously that he would never taint his soul with crap like Independence Day. But he says here in this interview, Star Wars as well Star Wars. Uh, so he was on board. And that makes, when I hear that, it makes. Just makes all the sense that he'd be chomping at the bit to come back and get another shot with Obi Wan Kenobi, and now maybe the dialogue will be a little different. No respect, no disrespect uh, to uh, George, of course. There, Um, so interesting stuff. Again, also to just as a Star Wars fan to go back and think, uh, here we are in two thousand twenty-one, coming up on two thousand twenty-two, waiting for an Obi Wan Kenobi series. That kind of blows my mind, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Uh, all right. On that note, I hope you're having fun taking this journey with me. Is this this is Spotlight Star Wars? Is, is truly just this monologue. I'm thinking aloud here. I'm I'm trying to put myself back in the place I was in 1999 and trying to analyze a little bit of why when I walked out of that theater, it didn't feel right, and it didn't. No uh, prequelist love that I can uh, spout now will change the fact that on that uh, warm day in 1999, sitting outside in the parking lot. With my friends, as we all tried to process what we had just seen, uh, we didn't allow ourselves to process it. Uh, it took a while, at least uh, for me. Over around the corner, some nine-year-olds having a great time. They processed it quite well. Um, so I love analyzing why. I love analyzing what what um, you know what went wrong in my in my heart, and how I got to where I am now. Uh, I was so positive about these films. Uh, so it is. We're going to take a quick break. And on the other side, we're going to get uh, a little serious with what, what, uh, what happened with uh, Jake Lloyd and then uh, wrap up our conversation about Phantom Menace back in 1999. Stick around. Spotlight Star Wars.
0: Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST.
2: All right, we're back here on Spotlight Star Wars. I'm going through the TV guide. Oh, it's been fun to actually just thumb through the rest of the TV guide and remember... A TV Guide, quite frankly, was an appointment reading, wasn't it? Cheers and jeers. You got to find out, uh, you know, who's being cheered and jeered this week. Uh, Oh, my gosh. Uh, We got, uh, I just accidentally flipped to uh, a uh, CBS advertisement for Prequel Monday. May may the farce be with you. King of Queens. Everybody loves Raymond Becker. Craig Kilborn is hosting it. Holy moly. I, don't, I forgot. <laughs> that was a random flip to that page. And, uh, holy, see, we were all excited for Star Wars. In uh, being excited for Star Wars, I'm looking at this TV guide. and I'm trying to see what was there. What was there? Uh, should I have been uh, a little more ready for the impact of the film? And uh, should I have been listening to the clues, not just with plot, with themes and what was going to be uh, happening around this movie. I just was happy to see my pew, pew, pew Star Wars saga back in theaters. So uh, at 22, I was 22 when this movie came out. I, I I was no way I could predict everything good and bad that was going to happen from this. And quite frankly, coming out of the theater, no way I could be, uh, could have predicted that where I'd be right now as a fan. Someone who absolutely just enjoys the hell out of the Phantom Menace. One of the things I have come to really love about The Phantom Menace in the last couple of years as we've analyzed uh, the importance of Qui-Gon and his advice and Qui-Gon and his purpose and goals in the film, uh, Shmi and her role, uh, is the stuff with Anakin. And look, I don't mind a little yippee joke or a little wizard joke. I really don't. I really don't. Uh, I get it. It's a fun, loving reference. But I like a lot of the stuff. I think Jake hits uh, some big moments. Uh, with his uh, uh, mom and Qui-Gon and Jar around the dinner table and, and Padme there as well. I think he hits some of those moments more than he probably hits the Master Qui-Gon, what are midichlorians, sir, line, or the yippies or the wizards. Um, he hits some of those notes, and he's a young kid with a director who's more worried about uh, perhaps other things going around than another take on that dialogue. And then in the beginning documentary, you you hear, you see George address that, hey, there's probably some other actors I could have gone with here um, that would have maybe hit the marks a little better, been a little bit more um, prepared. Maybe we save a, save some money, save some time, save some shots. But I like what Jake brings to the table, paraphrasing George at this point. And all, all, uh, all said and done in the end, I think if you go back with a different eye and a different uh, maybe peace in your soul as a Star Wars fan, you see what George was talking about. Number one, I think he, he just looks like a Skywalker. Number one, but uh, he's got he's got an energy. He's got a a, a a little glint in his eye. He's got something there. And the Jake Lloyd article uh, in this uh, thing, there's two things that stand out. One, we'll um, start with the bad stuff. Um, man, they're pretty honest. That already before this movie had come out, that there was already a lot of heat. A lot of heat from the fandom coming towards Jake Lloyd. The article uh, reads, Landing the much-coveted role of young Anakin Skywalker comes at a price. These days, the Lloyds are dealing uh, with rumors that Jake's Vader is a dud, that some of his scenes had to be reshot, and that on the set he was nicknamed Mannequin Skywalker because his performance was so stiff. Well, first of all, I would argue, there's a lot of stiff, stiff performances in The Phantom Menace, perhaps again by design. Um, look, there's no denying, you probably get what leaked out. You probably, probably know, and who knows where the sources are, and if they're early internet movie sleuths and reporters. I, you know, I, I'm not dumb. I see what, I see why someone may have uh, thought that. And at the time, maybe why they would have said that. But it is, it's nothing short of tragic to read this now. On the At the, at the week the movie came out, um... And to know what ends up uh, and has happened with Jake Lloyd and, and his life and his struggles and his uh, relationship with Star Wars and the things he's gone through and, and the mental uh, health battles and and um, legal troubles, all the things. That at times, uh, you could consider it a, a worst-case scenario. And Jake and Ahmed Best took the brunt of everything that was going to come after here in May of 1999. And we have done a great job, I think, as a fandom, to look at Ahmed Best and not just welcome him back. He, he didn't, he wasn't, he wasn't owed that from us, you know? We, he didn't deserve, he, he, if he wanted to come back, he had every right to come back. Uh, he came back when it was the right time. But I do think, especially uh, celebration celebration, uh, Chicago 2019, I think we were ready for it and we viewed it. And I think we as a fandom- Got uh, downright defensive about Ahmed Best, especially when he came clean with some of the struggles uh, he had gone through, with uh, his l- very life in the balance, his career destroyed, all for the sake of Jar Jar jokes, which are, you know, hey, look, Jar Jar steps in the poopy, we got it. If that if that's all you got about Jar Jar, you know, I don't want to have the conversation with you anymore. I think Joseph and I have done a, a, a really good job on uh, Clone Wars Report. Digging into some of the great Jar Jar moments that are there. Even more moments that challenged me. And there are Jar Jar moments in The Phantom Menace that certainly challenge me as a Star Wars fan. Absolutely. But We've done a great job of 20 years gone, looking back, looking what Ahmed did for just the technical side. All the credit, uh, uh, rightfully so, in a lot of ways, given to Andy Serkis for uh, performance capture and motion capture performances. But do not overlook Ahmed Best. And I think we as a Star Wars fandom really, again, get defensive and won't let anyone else forget that anymore. Do not forget Ahmed. Do not forget what they did for the uh, technical side of that. And do not forget what he brought to the role. I even get defensive about that. I understand and, and love the expansion of Gungan characters to to have uh, different accents and speak. And I, I get a lot of the, the controversy and, and um, the the racist overtones that people uh, uh, say are there. I totally get it. And it's that's not wrong. But also, Ahmed put a lot of himself into that role. Put a lot of his own choices into what was going on there. So I like that we can have the nuanced conversations. We can say, hey, we can be a little better about how this character sounds. And believe me, Phantom Menace has some challenges. We can also look with uh, a lot of love, warmth, and gratitude towards Ahmed Best. I hope and pray, and I gotta believe that one day, when he's ready, when his family says, "Hey, yeah, we're in a good spot," he's in a better spot, better spot. That Jake Lloyd can be welcomed back. And again, <laughs> if he's never steps foot at a Star Wars convention or a Star Wars-related interview, who's going to blame him? Who's going to blame him? But, again, if a 22-year-old soul like me, uh, you know, in a 45-year-old body, uh, can look back and look at Phantom Menace and see Jake Lloyd's performance in a brand new line, in a different line, and and sift through uh, some awkward moments here and there and find the heart of this young uh, uh, character, A character that we, um, uh, uh, you know, want to understand more, want to understand what went wrong and want to understand uh, the important lessons there that George has for the character in the fall of Anakin Skywalker. If we could do that, man, if I can do that, because I sat in the theater and going and then he says wizard and then he says, now this is pod racing. (sighs) What what we all thought was uh, maybe harmful jabs, surface level criticism. Uh, it nearly led to the complete destruction of uh, this person's life. And and without a doubt, his career. He's, it, before this, Jingle All the Way, he's on ER. He was uh, in a movie with Marissa Tomai, uh, Unhook the Stars. He's working. He's a young young kid working, and there's dangers in that. Don't, you know, I'm out here in LA. It's, uh, the acting industry is uh, tough for everyone. It, it, it breaks you down at any point. The entertainment overall, but particularly acting. Uh, you're so just, it's so about putting yourself out there daily. Auditions, the research, the, 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 the taking the, the chances and, and working full-time 365 days a year for what you hope is one break. And that's tough on adults. Seven, eight, nine, ten-year-old kid at the time of this interview going through that already. And then he becomes the face of failure for this franchise. We just, we just didn't know should have we should have been listening to interviews like this if i'm reading this 22 and i'm reading what his mom and, and 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 dad lisa and bill are saying about what's going on to this 10 year old at this time uh, they go on to say um after a source they the article talks about a source saying ah that's bunk his scenes with Natalie Portman is scene uh, with his uh, nemesis, a computer generated character named Sebulba among the best. Jake gets it, says the source. He gets the whole digital thing. Um, then the article said, still the sniping stunned his parents. It really hurts, says Lisa. It is a personal attack on a 10-year-old little boy. George was really upset, quite honestly. Bill and I are really mad. But Jake took it better than we did. He said, uh, it was only one person's opinion. I know I did a good job. He uh, says, you guys love me. It doesn't matter. And I hope those words could still be roaming around and found inside the soul uh, of Jake Lloyd. I really mean it. I really do. Uh, I don't know, again, if he never wants to step back, he never steps back. But I read this and I, I have, I have uh, anger. I also have slight shame as a Star Wars fan. That, 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 uh, uh, I won't go as far as to say we let this happen, but I was part of this. Part of this, I you know, I didn't seek him out on Friendster or MySpace or Twitter and say things to him, and I wasn't uh, a host of a podcast then. Um, but I had these conversations, with my friend. I misunderstood a lot of what George was trying to do with Anakin. I remember saying just they should have just started it with teenage Anakin, prequel Anakin, uh, that that should have been it, Not not the kid Anakin. Uh, you know what I mean by prequel Anakin, but like, you know, teenage Anakin, attack the clones, start it there. In this article, they talk about how George, and this is from Jake Lloyd himself, George wanted me to play him as a loving character. I don't think of him as the evil monster of the first three films. And that's what George was putting in there. That's absolutely what George Lucas was putting in there. I wanted a cool, soon-to-be-evil Vader. My view of Darth Vader in the prequels for a long time was he should have choked and destroyed and taken the power. That should have been how he fell. And we've talked about it a lot, and i talked about it right here in Spotlight Star Wars. That, that was never the point. That wasn't the point uh, when it was all said and done on the original trilogy. And I love that George decided, no, I need to really drive this home, particularly in Revenge of the Sith. But back here in the beginning, you saw the poster. We all saw the poster. Young Anakin, the shadow. The shadow was Vader. Ooh, we needed dark and we needed gritty. But George was telling the story of a loving child. A smile and a song in this kid's heart who just wanted to help the galaxy, who just wanted to do right, who just wanted to help his mom. Just couldn't get over that attachment. He Just couldn't get over those fears. And by the time he gets to Coruscant, the cracks are already starting to show. And the Jedi are driving it home. What, do you miss your mom? What, are you cold? Come on, kid. We don't even want to train you. What are you doing here? A ship, a cup, a ship, a speeder? Yay, great. No training for you. Sorry you miss your mom. That's the story George was telling. Jake's got it right there. He's saying it right there. Did he play that? And did he play that correctly? George wanted me to play him as a loving character. I think he did. Much like Ahmed Best coming back to Star Wars Celebration and getting a nice hearty round of applause. I pray for the day. Jake Lloyd can be in the right spot in his life. The right spot in his life. That he cannot just return to a... Uh, celebration stage and wave, but that he can feel that the words he said here back in 1999 that I know I did a good job. Besides, you guys love me. It doesn't matter. I hope those words can still be found in his heart and I hope one day it can be found for Star Wars and for The Phantom Menace. That was the biggest takeaway I had from this article. Final one was... The night. Liam Neeson joins the force. No questions asked. Very interesting. And this has come up in other interviews. But this this interview here, uh, written by uh, David Gritton, uh, talks about how he accept- he Liam Neeson met with George and then accepted the role right then and there without even reading the script. And you can make a joke about that, right? Did he see the stiff dialogue coming? Would he have changed his mind? Would he have still done it? I think he still would have done it. I think anyone would have done it. Reading a script and then going out and shooting the movie and seeing the final product, entirely different, right? Entirely different. Uh, he talks about how in 1977 he was connected to Star Wars, uh, seeing, uh, seeing Star Wars in Belfast, uh, Northern Ireland, on a day when uh, the violence was shaking the city. There were bombs going off all over the city. You could hear them during the film. By rights, no one should have been there or interested in the movie, but the place was packed. That's the power of Star Wars back in 77 uh, and for all time. Uh, very interesting talking about uh, what was forthcoming. So he's the Jedi Knight. This article talks about it. he's the Knight. It, it has uh, two shots there. It has uh, Liam uh, on Naboo, lightsaber out uh, shortly before they run into Darth Maul. And then has a shot on Tatooine that mini duel with uh, Maul and uh, Qui Gon. A lot of us were getting ready for that, right? And the inset reads uh, "Qui Gon duels with the evil Darth Maul." Oh, man, so exciting! So exciting. Uh, but he says this. Um, he says this. I love it. He says, "Neeson uh, likens a Jedi to marshals in the old West. I'm a Jedi Knight who stands for a code of ethics and morals that are fast disappearing in the world George has created." Um, it goes on to talk about, uh, and here, and here No, this is what this is actually. This is his point. the The article, uh, well written and uh, well put together by David Gritton, where, Wherever you are, you did a great job. Uh, but. There's that little line there. I'm a Jedi Knight who stands for a code of ethics and morals that are fast disappearing in the world George has created. Great. And then it goes into fighting. Neeson talks about it's the best costume I've ever had. It looks regal, but it was designed with a lot of physical activity in mind, activities such as wielding a lightsaber. Whoa, there's a Star Wars fan. I'm excited. We got the picture of him fighting this Maul character. Um, He says, um, I've done a few sword fight films before. I've always kept fit, but hey, this is uh, different. Uh, It just gets you excited, man. Um, just gets you excited because he's a Jedi and he's got to have that lightsaber out and he's got to be fighting. And this is perhaps the biggest expectation I took in these, into this film and perhaps into the, the prequels. Liam Neeson talking about, no, I, there's a the, the codes, uh, the code of ethics and the morals in this world, they're, they're disappearing. And here I am, I'm trying to hold on to that. Uh, we just couldn't imagine that it was the Jedi Order that was also seeing some of this decay that George was trying to talk about uh, the rise of Palpatine wasn't all about Sith lightning. It was about trade disputes, blockades, policy, bureaucracy, politics. George was getting ready to tell us the story of how a loving boy got caught up in all of that and how the Jedi themselves got caught in the fall. We, and I do mean me, were reading this article and saying, yeah, lightsaber fights. So there you go. That's my journey back to 1999 in this wonderful TV Guide Collector's Edition. I think I'll hold on to it for a little bit. Uh, The condition's generally okay, but eventually I'll probably throw it into a fire and just sip a whiskey and think back to those heady days leading into The Phantom Menace. Thanks for listening, everybody. This has been Spotlight Star Wars here the Force Center podcast feed. You can find us on Twitter at Force Center Pod. We're on Instagram and YouTube. You can get merch at tpublic.com slash user slash Center. You can audiobook on us, if you'd like, at audibletrial.com slash Center. And you can uh, support us directly at patreon.com slash Center. From there, you can access uh, things like our Discord and have a daily conversation with the Force Center community. Uh, for me, you can follow me at KenNapsock or go to KenNapsock.com. Thanks to all those who uh, came out to see me perform stand-up comedy in New York City last week. More dates coming soon, San Francisco in late October. And in December, looks like I'll we'll be heading back to Washington, D.C. So if you want to see me do some comedy, go to my website to check it all out there. Don't forget, if you'd like, uh, I do some work over the GPA, the Good People Association. we got a Kickstarter going. Uh, check it out if you want to support a board game, Futility, the actual game of living, a game we've designed and want to get out. To to the world. But that's it. That's it this week. So for all the things in Phantom Menace that were there that we weren't just ready to take in, we'll see you next time here on Spotlight Star Wars.